So, we're going to be asking the question this week and next, what does it mean for the gospel to go viral? Now, obviously, that word viral originates from the world of medicine, but it's got a little different connotation in our digital age, doesn't it? People share often on social media posts like a meme or a photo or most often a video. They share it because it's moved them in some way. Maybe it's funny. Maybe they're angered by it. Maybe they're inspired. Maybe it's a truth that they just want to get out there. But for whatever reason, they are motivated to share it, to click that share button. And when they do, and when something goes viral, then it means that millions have seen it. It goes viral because it doesn't stop with you. You share it. You pass it on. And just like the fast multiplication of the cells in in a viral situation, in our digital age, millions see what we shared. And so the question is, more than Pokemon Go or maybe even some of the political posts we're seeing these days, how can it be that we can be part of the gospel going viral in our age, as it did in the first century and beyond, God is still calling it to be so, yet still today. So over these next two weeks, we're going to consider what it means for us to be moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit that we can see in the scriptures today something that happened then is still happening still today, 2,000 years later. We've said from this pulpit many times, and you've heard it from the baptismal font. After baptism, you'll hear that verse, Matthew 5.16 read, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The order on that's important. That verse is always read after the baptismal person has already been drenched in the promise of God's grace. And that's true for the gospel going viral as well. You first have to be drenched and receive that gift of grace and be impacted by it and moved by it that leads you to click that share button, so to speak. We hear that happening in Acts chapter 4 today. As we go through this text together, we'll see the gospel being proclaimed boldly. On Solomon's portico, Peter and John are preaching. They've just healed a crippled man. And the ruling parties, it says in verses 1 through 4, are annoyed. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they are unhappy. They're unhappy for several reasons. They're unhappy that the crowds are being moved. They're unhappy that the resurrection of the dead is being preached. They're unhappy that the promise of salvation through grace is being proclaimed. And that 5,000 men plus, we think, women and children are believing. And so to shut it down, they place Peter and John under arrest. And then the next morning, gather with them and put them under trial. 
And we see that trial begin in verses 5 through 9. Where Peter is asked about the healing of the crippled man. They ask him, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now here's the interesting thing. Notice they didn't deny that the man had been healed. I mean, he was walking right before them. God used these ordinary men, these disciples, to do the extraordinary. And it could not be denied. Isn't it interesting then that we common folk like they might be in the world yet still today and do ordinary acts of service and kindness and outreach and bold proclamation and let and allow God to use our ordinary gifts to do the extraordinary. After all, Jesus even said that you will do greater things than I. He calls us to this good work so that those good works that we do, that great word that we proclaim then, can't be denied because they see it working itself out in love in the world. It cannot be denied. And so we might just get asked that same question, by what name, by whose power did you do this? And then we will have the opportunity to do and say what Peter said in verses 10 through 12 when he said, let it be known. It's the name of Jesus. He goes on to say, in fact, no other name in heaven or on earth is given that men, that people might be saved. And for us, there can be no equivocation here. If the gospel is to go viral, it must be the reality of who Jesus truly is and what he has done for us. You know, what offended the Sanhedrin who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead was that they were preaching the resurrection of the dead. What offended the Pharisees who were the gatekeepers of the law were that the message was being saved by grace alone through Christ Jesus. And of course, what offends our sensibilities here today in our age is that there's only one way to salvation. There is no other name by which we must be saved. We dare not water down that reality. We dare not water down the gospel lest we, as Paul warns us later in his letters, lest we begin to believe in some other gospel. And so we are called to boldness. And that's just what Peter and John did. These regular everyday folk boldly proclaiming this good news. And we read that in verse 13. Now, word for boldness is translated from the Greek word parousia. It's the opposite of flattering or telling people what they want to hear. It literally conveys the idea of freedom of speech, of being unreserved, plainness, plainly spoken, outspokenness even. Nothing is concealed in this word boldness. Nothing is passed over. The Greeks used this word parousia to indicate that there would be a, a right for folks to be able to speak in assemblies. It's literally where we get this idea of freedom of speech. 
And the elite leaders were astonished, it says, that these uneducated, ordinary men would speak with such plain-spoken, unhindered boldness. They recognized something about them. How is it that they did this? How did they speak so boldly? The scripture says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's the key, isn't it? So for the gospel to go viral, we have to be in Christ, with Christ, and live our lives through Christ. So the invitation for us today is to be drenched and soak in this gift of grace. Wherever you're at in your walk with Christ, whether you're about to take the first step or you're on your way to your millionth step, we are invited to live in Christ. I don't know about you, but when, when I turn my attention to the world around us, and focus in on the evil of ISIS or the brokenness of our systematic racism that seems to plague our country and divide us, or the hatred towards police and the grief that we've suffered and lost in these recent weeks, or the breakdown of biblical morality you see just turning on the television, or the political battles we are witnessing right now in these recent weeks, It sometimes feels depressing, like there is no hope. Let's be clear, it's crucial, crucial for us as Christians to be engaged in these social and political issues. But it's even more essential for us to remember where true healing and reconciliation and justice is ultimately found. And it's not our political heroes. It's rather one name under heaven that salvation is found, one name where men and women must be saved. And from that promise, all other reconciliation, all other healing, all other restoration comes. And so we can be bold followers of Jesus and speak freely without holding anything back because we are drenched in this promise Our identity is being a child of God and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, emboldened to speak love into other people's lives, to speak His truth. We can't help but click that veritable share button because we've been so moved by the Holy Spirit and by what God has done in our lives. And notice for Peter and John and for us as well, it doesn't mean hardships still won't come. They did, after all, get thrown into prison and were on trial. But we respond to this gift of grace by sharing it. And it goes viral when we do. But notice, notice that it's being drenched in that promise that leads them to share. These past few weeks, our youth, our high school first, and then just this last week, getting returning on Friday, our middle school youth have been on mission trips. High school in Alaska, middle school up in Colorado, they're very different trips in many ways, but one thing was the same. Constant among both those trips. Whether it was the high school trip that Jeremy led or the middle school trip that I led, at morning, noon, 
and night are students who are in God's Word. They were praying. They were worshiping. And out of that came their acts of service and mission and proclamation. Peter and John were recognized to have been with Jesus. That gave them boldness. You see, our youth spent time with Jesus and the Holy Spirit brings about transformation in them and leads them to share. And the Holy Spirit is calling us to do the same. It's not complicated for us to get in the Word and pray each day. But I recognize that in our demanding lives, it certainly sometimes feels very hard. But remember that God is calling us with our ordinary gifts and the talents that we have to be used and he will do the extraordinary. That's what the middle schoolers studied this past week. You see, he used, Jesus did, ordinary fish and loaves to feed thousands. He used the darkness of the instrument of death, the cross, to bring the hope of the resurrection. He used common, ordinary elements like water, bread, and wine to do the extraordinary in the sacraments. And so when the gospel goes viral, it brings lasting change. First in us, eternal change, eternal salvation. And then we participate in God's kingdom come when we share it. Regardless of circumstance, even sometimes as it was for Peter and John, under trial. It says in 1 John chapter 4 that translating that same word for boldness, this time into confidence, he says that we have confidence even on the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. And he goes on to say in verse 18 of chapter 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. That was true for Hugh Latimer when he preached with boldness to King Henry VIII. He preached a sermon that King Henry did not like so much. And he knew that his life was in danger. And the king ordered him the next Sunday to apologize and recant. And so Hugh Latimer got up that next Sunday. I'll try to translate it from Old English here. But he said, speaking in the third person, he wrote, Hugh Latimer knows before whom he speaks this day, the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away my life if thou is offended. Therefore I'll take heed and try not to speak a word that would displace. But then I consider well, Hugh does, to remember that whom I come from and whose message I am sent to give that of the great and mighty God who is all present and who beholds all things and who is able to cast my soul into hell. Therefore, I'll take care to deliver his message faithfully. He then went on to preach the same sermon he preached the week before, this time with even more boldness. We are inspired to speak boldly and freely and unhindered not because of circumstance, but because of what God has done, the grace 
we've been drenched in and poured on us. Yes, we live in a mind-numbing, powerful voice of culture today that demands us to conform to its will. Boldness comes when we are firmly rooted in the truth of God's Word, the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Next week, we'll talk more about how to do this, but let's practice abiding with and being with Jesus this week and receiving His love so that we, like Peter and John, can't help but click that share button empowered by the Holy Spirit so that, in fact, the gospel would go viral and change our heart and the hearts of the world around us. Amen.